Welcome to the Emmaus Fellowship Teaching Podcast. We trust you find this encouraging. Emmaus Fellowship is located at 205 North Pine Street in Woodland Park, Colorado. Our phone number is 719-687-6061. We trust you find this encouraging as you pour over God's Word with us. Gave me a voice and a song Taught me how to sing Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. As you guys are turning there, I want to kind of introduce uh, what Paul is addressing throughout the book. Um, what we're going to do is um, Paul is writing, obviously, the, the first part of Corinthians and the second book of Corinthians is dealing with a specific church and the issues of the body of Christ and life together. And Paul has kind of been working through problems, and now in 2 Corinthians, right here in chapter 3, what we're going to have is we're going to have Paul stop for a moment and begin to have a conversation with the glory of God and how it affects your life. Interesting enough, um, there are so many powerful themes in the scripture, but one that I periodically visit because it's very important is the idea of the glory of God and how God talks about this concept in regard to you growing. How does the glory of God actually affect you? And so what we're going to look at today, we're going to look at a specific scripture, but we're just going to kind of do a real quick jump through. Um, let me go there, Second Corinthians chapter 3. So what we have is we have Paul beginning to talk about well, let's talk about the glory of God and how it worked in the Old Testament in regard to the New Testament. And he, he starts talking about, hey, in the Old Testament, God gave the law, and Paul describes it now as the ministry of death. The law, giving of the law was the ministry of death. Because what does what is the Ten Commandments do? They're not a guide to earn your way to heaven. It shows the separation between you and I with God. It shows sin. And so... Paul is describing that, and he's saying, so God gives this, and yet there was the glory of God behind this thing. And he said, and to get you to understand the level of the glory of God, it describes a specific uh, event that's going on as Moses is with the children of Israel. It says that he's spending time with the Lord, and he's being saturated with the presence of God to the point that when he comes out of meeting with God, the glory of God is emanating from his face, and it's scaring the nation of Israel, so he has to walk around with a veil on his face. Now, I know that you guys read these stories, and, and just like me, you try to comprehend, well, wow, that's kind of different. Uh, just to pause as we come into the passage, think about this with me. The children of Israel, especially when God delivered them from the nation of Egypt and then took them into the wilderness... Talk about a group of people that were allowed to constantly see God intervene in human history with unbelievable, miraculous signs and interventions. And just, I would actually say, on a daily basis, they were encountering probably what we would call the, on an outward appearance, the closest thing to what it would look like to just see heaven on earth. I mean, God literally is 
protecting them with a cloud by day and fire by night, and so they don't get either too hot or too cold. He's miraculously feeding them every day. If they don't have water, he either heals the water or he speaks to rocks and water flows out of it. And, and then Moses is spending every day with the Lord, and he's coming out, and in the glory of God shining on him. I mean, could you guys imagine this is going on every day as they're walking with the Lord, and the children of Israel's response to all this is, God brought us out here to kill us. Seriously, that's kind of their response. Or, I, we don't like God's menu. Uh, I'm getting sick of manna. I want quail. I mean, you guys know the story. And then when God says, well, okay, now I am going to take you into this land so you can eat more than just uh, manna, they, they end up saying, well, there are giants in the land. I mean, could you imagine? God just delivered them from the strongest nation on the planet, and they're afraid to go into another nation. And they're watching demonstrations of the glory of God one right after another, and it's not connecting with what's going on in their own hearts. They cannot perceive God, even though he's right there in the midst of them. And he's describing that God demonstrated his glory, and what's interesting about it is the glory of God was used to train the people who God was, the demonstration of God's glory. Then you come into the New Testament, and Paul's now going to give a distinction. He's saying, well, even though the, the glory that God revealed by giving the Ten Commandments and Moses with the glory of God on his face, the children of Israel were basically afraid of him and, and believed he brought him out of the wilderness to kill him. And the New Testament's different. Now we have the glory, the demonstration of God's glory towards righteousness, and it, it begins to define it as... Because of this glory that is in Christ, God has determined that you come into liberty. Now what's interesting, we're, we're heading towards the passage I want to talk to you about. When the word liberty is used in the Greek New Testament, it is contrasting a word called oppression. Now we're talking about the glory of God and how it deals with these two issues. So, I'll define the glory of God here in a moment, but please understand, in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, it, Paul is giving a summation of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he says this, You know how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. That word oppressed is interesting. It actually means a power to push down, and the second part of the word, of the Greek word, actually means to keep someone from their God-given destiny. So what did Jesus do when he walked around on the planet? He looked at people realizing that they were image bearers, and he said, there's a power that is coming against them that is trying to form them into something I did not create them to do, and it's a spiritual power, and I've come to lift that off of them so that they come back into being image bearers and they come into their true destiny which is what? To have the glory of God in them and resting on them again. When God created men and women and he put them in the garden, you guys know that they didn't have any clothing at that point, and the Bible makes mention that they weren't ashamed. And then after they fell, and what did they fall from? Sin isn't just missing the mark. Sin is missing the glory of God. And so they fell from the glorious way that God created them. So because they didn't have clothing when they were first created, why were they not ashamed? It wasn't because they hadn't sinned. It's because their covering was the glory of God. 
you and I were created to be image bearers, not just to be a fit. And by the way, God does not look like our flesh. Jesus took that on to redeem us. But when it says we're image bearers, it means that God has taken from himself as the, the creator and said, I want something that looks and represents me. I've made it. And so he has glory that emanates and, and abounds from him, and he places it on the thing that bears his image in creation. And so the covering of mankind was the glory of God. Now, that's very important. That means that God's glory actually manifests on the outward, and when creation saw Adam and Eve walking, they had to do a double take. Was that God or was that Adam? Because the glory of God was to represent God, what God would be like on this planet by creating men and women. So they had the glory of God resting on them. Not only was it resting on them, it was residential in them. Now what's fascinating is when we, this idea of restoration comes up in Scripture, most people believe it's restoration in relationship, but we have to quantify something here. When we say God has restored you in relationship, it means you know him, but he wants you to come into a right relationship with him. Not just I know you, but I want to reconcile. The whole idea of reconciling you means he works something in you so that you can relate to him. Well, God emanates his glory all the time, and so for you to be in relationship with him, he has to emanate his glory inside of you you long for the glory of God. If you do not tap into it and let it satisfy you, you look for lesser glories to meet an eternal need. So we have a whole culture that yearns for the glory of the Lord, doesn't recognize that, so it seeks lesser glories all the time and then finds itself empty because it's going to the wrong cistern to drink from the wrong well to satisfy a longing that can only be met by the glory of the Lord. In fact, as you and I enter into creation, God's glory is going to emanate to us for eternity and that's what's going to sustain us, satisfy us, and release joy inside of us, the glory of God. And so Paul now is picking this up and he's saying, now see how much glory God gave in the Old Testament? Well, in Christ, he's given us liberty. Now, I, I talked about oppression. What's the word for liberty? It means the glory of God touches an individual and it explodes them into what they were created to be. Isn't that interesting? So, we say things like this. Well, Jesus is my life. That's actually true. Jesus is my life. But when we talk about that, there's a quality that comes from the very presence of Christ to us that actually satisfies the deepest longings that mankind has. And the reason why mankind live in fear or mankind struggles with oppression is they're going to the wrong source and trying to draw from it they're trying to make their world the way they think it should be instead of living out of what is called being nurtured from the glory of God. And so they're never happy with anything they see on this planet until they come back to the restoration of the glory of God satisfying them. And that's what we're going to explore here as we go through this passage. So we're, we're going to spend our attention on verse 18 specifically, but I'm going to read verse 17 as we go there. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, 
there's liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, behold in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. All right, so we have a lot of stuff that we need to work through here. Uh, earlier in the passage, it, it started talking about when people read the, the words of Moses, they have a veil over their mind, and it says that they have a hard heart. Now, I'm struggling because I had written two different things for this morning. I actually was going to teach on hard-heartedness, and the Lord kind of said, no, you're going to cover this. And I'm like, okay. So to bring what I was going to teach into this to make it understandable, what does it mean to have a hard heart? I mean, the Scripture talks about it. By the way, we find out that the hard-heartedness is actually used in the Old Testament several different ways. We find that uh, God actually hardened Pharaoh's heart. And a lot of people are like, well, that's not fair. Uh, really, Pharaoh was already hardening his heart. All it actually means is, is um, God didn't, usually when God intervenes and moves in a situation, it changes the heart. And so God made sure that when he was moving in Pharaoh's life, it didn't change his heart. He stayed the same. That's what it means that he hardened his heart. It wasn't that he made him rebellious. God doesn't do that to people. It doesn't make him sin. All right, so we find out that that was a, a thing that God did. We also find out that hard-heartedness is uh, used prophetically. Uh, in fact, Jesus picks it up that he talks about in his day that people all know they're seeing, they're, they're, they can't perceive, and though they're hearing, they can't understand because their hearts are hard. And it said if they would turn to the Lord, he would heal them. And now it's being used here to describe all this stuff that happened in the Old Testament. And they're saying if you're reading the words of Moses, there's a veil over you, a hard-heartedness in your mind. Well, let's define hard-heartedness. The, the way the Hebrew word is used and the Greek word, it actually means to have fatness over your heart. Isn't that an interesting concept? Fatness. Now, this isn't a positive thing because fatness is used for prosperity in Scripture. This is a negative connotation. So what does fatness mean? Well, it has three concepts. Hard-heartedness has three concepts to fatness. First one is dullness. If you're hard-hearted, you're dull. Now, this is kind of um, a shock, so go with me here. The dullness has to do with spiritual understanding, and it, it says you become dull, and it makes you, you guys ready, stupid. So we would say this. This is a popular saying in Kansas City. Sin has a stupefying effect on you. Have you ever watched someone sin? Now, I know you guys don't walk around observing people, but don't you say things like, that's really stupid. So why do people do stupid things? There's a hardness over their hearts. They cannot perceive the effects of this spiritual reality, and so because of the hardness of their heart, they do stupid things that are actually very destructive to them. This is why the Bible comes and says, it'd probably be a good idea for you to quit doing those kind of things. Okay, so in regards to yourself, it, it creates a dulling effect. You cannot perceive or understand spiritual realities. The next thing it does is in regard to relationship, hard-heartedness repels the presence of the Lord from you. It grieves God when you're actually hard-hearted. Uh, this is what Red was talking about. Pride is hard-heartedness. It's, it's taking your way 
instead of God's way into a situation. And what that does is that, that grieves and quenches the Holy Spirit, so you're basically pushing him away from you, which leaves you in a state. You might still be able to, by volition, do things, but you're not in touch with the way the universe actually works, and so you're actually living in a state, as the Scripture would say it, you're walking in a state of darkness, and you can't, you can't relate to God or know him. The third way that the word hard-heartedness is used is that it has to do with um, the mind not being able to, and this is uh, come into truth, and so you live in deception. This is all, this is all a foundation of hard-heartedness. And now what the Bible is going to do is, and as it was telling us as we were looking at this passage, is it says, when you turn to Christ, the veil is lifted. And so now we're coming here, and it says in verse 17 of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it says this, But we with all unveiled faces behold in a mirror the glory of the Lord. So let's take the word unveiled. Now what's interesting is it just doesn't mean to remove something here. It means to, the unveiling is a specific Greek word, and it means to reveal for your own consciousness the appearing of the Lord in your life. So God is always in connecting and reaching out to people. His spirit is touching people. But because of this veil that's in the heart of mankind, they can't perceive it, they can't enjoy it, and they can't receive it. When you turn to Christ, that veil is lifted so that now when God appears in your life, whether it's through Bible study, answer prayer, however God wants to do it, you're actually able to receive it and begin to let it do the work it's supposed to do. Nurture you. God has created you to be nurtured by the unveiling of his presence before your life. Just now, when we describe this, it's, it's kind of hard to say these things, but let's take the idea of glory just for a moment and develop it. Um, there used to be a slang, and this will age me really well, so I'm going to enjoy this, but there used to be a slang uh, that we had in our culture back in the 60s and 70s, like, man, he's heavy. Right. Well, that's actually what the word glory means. It means weighty one. And what, what we mean by weighty one is it actually means that this person has substance, character, and value that causes you to pay attention to them. They're weighty. Well, when we talk about the glory of the Lord, they, they, the, the main word actually means weighty, and from that weightiness that the Lord carries... It reveals his majesty, his authority, his preciousness, the weightiness of who he is. He, you should listen to him just because of his nature, his character, how good he is. He's weighty. That's what it means by the glory of the Lord. And so now it's telling us that we actually get to behold this. We get to have God come to us, and his job is to reveal his glory to us. So look, keep going with me in the passage. It says this, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Now when you look at that passage about the mirror, I, I'd have to be honest with you where I'd say I've seen that many times and thought, are they talking about I look like at a mirror and the way that mirrors were back in the, the Roman culture, they were usually a plate of brass and then have to like, and you really couldn't see a clear reflection. Is that what they're saying? Is I look at the mirror and the glory of God hits the mirror and I, I can somewhat see it, but I really don't understand it. And as I was digging through it, that's not what it means at all. 
It means you're the mirror. Now, if I, if I come into a room, and what we have in this room right now is we have different wattages of light, right? We have some that are 15 watt. If I hold a mirror at it, I'm to reflect the 15 watt of the mirror. If I come up to a 60 watt, it reflects the 60. If I come up to 100, and you realize the more, the more intense the light is, the greater reflection of a brightness. Well, now it's actually saying this. It's telling you that you, your own soul, is a reflective pool for the glory of God. So what God does is when God wants to make himself known to you, loving, powerful, healer, restorer, whatever he's doing in this season of your life, he's emanating his glory into your soul. Your soul is literally like a reflecting mirror that soaks it up. In fact, the best way to say it is you're being sunburned by the glory of God. Now, how many of you suntan or go sit out in the sun to get... Okay, so Tiffany's the only one in here. That's kind of interesting. And so, do you see what it's actually saying here? When God wants to do something in your life, he reflects his glory to you, and what it does is it comes into your soul... And what happens is a transformation starts taking place where the glory saturates you, and I'll get into this, and what's supposed to happen is it's supposed to change you so that you reflect it out of you. You change by God revealing his glory to you. So when he wants you to know him as a savior, he shines the light of his glory over you and reveals himself. Savior, I'm saved. Now I have to talk to everyone about being saved. Why? Because the glory of God has changed me. And so you grow by the glory of the Lord. Now, what does that have to do? I'm going to bring this up, and then I'm going to go into a, a part of my life with this. So when we read the Scripture, there's this thing, and um, when I was talking about this last night, someone said, well, I really love the Bible. And I, I thought, well, I wasn't trying to say I don't like the Bible. I was saying, What's the, how do you understand the Bible in regard to relationship with God? There's a, a quest that goes on in Western culture where we, the, we use the study of Scripture for the replacement of relationship. And Jesus tried to address this with people. He tried to address it with the Pharisees in his day. He said, you guys, you study the Scripture all day long, and you don't come to me, and so I can't give you salvation. He's saying, you're using the Scripture incorrectly. You're using it to block relationship instead of engaging in relationship. Now, could that actually be the very thing that God has given us to cultivate relationship? We use that itself as the relationship instead of it springboarding into relationship. Anything I read in Scripture where it's talking about these people experiencing the glory of God, that's not for me to know it as a fact. It's to challenge me to experience the glory of God. And if we miss that step... We're going to be people that can quote Scripture morning, noon, and night and have none of that impacting us because we're not letting it do the proper work that God wants it to do. I am to be challenged by the glory of God. And the Scripture comes in and challenges me to say, this glory is for you. Do you want it? And it's supposed to make me hunger for the, to literally go run into the glory of God and go burn me with it. Well, that's kind of intense, wasn't it? <laughs> All right, so see what it says here? It says, beholding in the mirror the glory of the Lord. Now, 
I'm in Bible college in Carter Springs in my 20s, and I'm at a friend's house, and we're, I'm waiting for him. And back in the day, this is so funny to talk to different people at ages. Do you guys remember when we only had TVs? You didn't even have remotes, and you, and you only had three stations. And if you were lucky, you had PBS, so that was four. And when I was in Carter Springs, and actually Chris lived in Carter Springs the same time this was going on, they introduced a couple more you know, cable networks uh, before you could buy, uh, like, you could buy a cable, but they had just regular ones. And they had this thing called TBN. Do you guys know what TBN is? Trinity Broadcast Network. And I used to watch it for comedy relief. <laughs> I mean, I, that just the way they dressed and all this other stuff, I just said, like, you have got to be kidding me, all right? So I had some time to waste. I turned on TBN for comedy relief, and I'm, and I'm telling you this not to mock them, but to show you my immaturity. Okay? So I'm watching it, I'm laughing, and they're starting a new program. And so this program starts. And they show a quail flying in the air, right? And then it goes down to being in California, and this guy's walking on the beach, right? And he's looking up into heaven, and then this title of the show uh, comes on it. Let God love you. <laughs> so then they go into his church service, and he's the pastor of the Hollywood Presbyterian Church. Uh, some of you might know who this is. Lloyd John, Lloyd John Ogilvy. If you don't know who he is, you ought to go listen to him. So he's starting to, they're start, the choir is doing their thing, and after I'm sitting there watching this, I thought, I'm, I'm watching it, ready? To be critical, because I just got done taking hermeneutics and, um, not apologetics, hermeneutics and exegesis, so I thought I knew how to write sermons better than everyone else. So I used to study ministers, and oh, that's a terrible introduction, and I went in transition with that word, and why did they use that illustration? So I'm becoming a perfect Pharisee. <laughs> and so I'm watching this to criticize, every, oh, that's a stupid way of doing it, I wouldn't have done it that way, and all this kind of stuff. Uh, gosh, talk about religious and uptight. But he's starting a sermon, and as he's starting it, the presence of God falls on me, and I start sobbing. Now, if you're a rugged, individualistic American man, you don't want that in Christianity. You want demon expulsion power. And so here I'm sobbing. And I'm like, why am I sobbing? I, I, and I, it's going on through the whole service, which I, I don't know why that is. And I, and I, and I have, I'm just absolutely clueless why, why this. And, and they, literally, even while they're advertising the CD for that week, I'm sobbing. The program ends, and I'm, I'm, I'm like, and then the presence of the Lord lifts off me, and I thought, what was, what was that? So um, because God has made me, knows exactly who I am, he knows this kind of stuff bugs me. So I have to figure out what this means. So the next week, and I'm telling my wife, I don't understand this. I've watched this kind of program, and the title of the program is Let God Love You. And um, I started sobbing through the whole entire thing. And my wife was probably thinking, well, you're probably having a nervous breakdown or something like that. So the next week, I determined I was going to sit and watch it again. But this time, I was going to brace myself because I am not going to sob when I watch this thing. So comes on again. Here comes the quail. Down to the guy walking on the beach, and the title comes, Let God Love You. And I didn't even have to go into the sermon. The President's Lord falls me. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm just, 
I'm mad. I'm actually hitting my leg to cause pain so I could quit sobbing. In fact, to show you it had nothing to do with what he was teaching on, he was teaching on tithing that week. I don't know too many people that cry when they, when they see that. And so I'm, <laughs> oh, and I, I can't even hardly hear what he's talking about. And I'm like, what? And I'm just wrestling. What is wrong with me? So then, and then what was interesting about this is the, the program ends, President Sword lifts off me again. I'm like, this is, and so now I'm like, this is weird, and I don't understand what it is. So I'm going to see how long this will go on. So now I'm watching it literally every Sunday night. And, <laughs> oh, Lord, ah! <laughs> and it's this principle right here. I'd been, I'd been going through a really hard time because I kept reading that God was a God of love. And, and it would hit me conceptually, but I had no concept of it. And so when God would draw near to me, I would interpret it incorrectly. Oh, well, it, that just means God's drawing near me or he's anointing me. And it was all about, hey, you know, I'm supposed to respond or do something like this. I didn't realize that God is intentionally revealing his glory to get something of who he is across to me so that I could be changed by it. So, you guys, I had to do this for three months, and then I finally started getting the idea here. Oh, it's the title of the program. <laughs> and once I kind of figured out, so God's wanting me to let him love me. And so what it did is that now that I'm starting to get the knowledge of how God's revealing his glory, I can actually enter into it with him and let him do the work that he actually wanted to do inside of me. And this, this is the idea that's being given to us here. Paul is now talking to the Corinthians and he's saying, look, I'm giving you all this great doctrine, but if you don't get how the glory of God works to grow you up in Christ, all the best doctrine, and maybe you ought to quit doing this and stop sleeping with your uh, father's wife and all that, that's not going to have any impact unless you know how the glory of God transforms you, nurtures you, and propels you into Christ. Let's keep looking at the passage. And then what it says, after it says, Beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord, what does it say? Are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. So let's just take the idea of transformed here. Interesting enough, metamorphoso, meta means to change after being with. Isn't that interesting? You're changed by being with something. And actually the change, uh, just to kind of really... Dig into this word. I mean, let's go a little deeper and plunge into it. It doesn't just mean to be changed. It means to be transfigured. Now, why am I using that word instead of change? Because it, it isn't just to entertain the mind to think differently. It's to change from the inside out every part of you by experiencing and being with this thing. So when Jesus comes to me and says, I want you to let me love you, he's saying, I want my love to saturate you to such a point it causes a complete transformation in every area of your life and it emanates out of you as a different way of living. Do you guys see why it's so important to actually learn to get into what's called glory sunburns? Our culture 
has this thing about what it means to meet with God. And the Bible's saying, well, the meeting with God is for transformation. God, God wants to reflect who he is inside of you. You're, you're the reflection of who he is to humanity. You're getting to know him. And this is fascinating, just so we can really ram this home. This is going to be going on forever. Do you realize that you're never going to completely know God forever, so he's going to constantly emanate his glory to you to transform you? It just amazes me the scriptures saying that. Now, do you see what it's saying? It's using now an Old Testament picture, and it's saying, now look, God revealed the glory of God, and look what it did to Moses, and here you are. You're in a better covenant, a different relationship, and you have the Lord of glory literally living in your heart, and so instead of needing having encounters to come from the outside and touch you, which, by the way, they encountered the glory of God all the time, and it didn't change them. I told you they had experienced the glory of God and said, God brought me out here to kill me. It's saying now it can actually do the work it's supposed to. It comes, it's in you, and it emanates, transforms the way you think, the way you are, the way your body is, everything, and it emanates out of you to affect everything you're around. And then what's the purpose of this uh, transfigure, this transformation, uh, this transfiguration? And by the way, is there anybody in the New Testament that demonstrated this? The Lord Jesus Christ. Now, think about it. We, we look at the transfiguration of Jesus, and we just, how many of you just look at that and go, I'm clueless. I, I really, I understand that Jesus is the Son of God, but you have to come into the story. Why did God's glory so fill him the way it did that it changed him? You guys realize that Jesus didn't go on a retreat and say, watch how cool I am. And then go, watch this. And then the glory of God filled him and he goes, now, isn't that awesome? That, that wasn't what was going on in the story. He's going to face death. And God is wanting to give him the strength to stand against death. So he brings the glory that's needed to face what's coming. And he meets the Lord Jesus Christ with it so he's, be, he's able to be transformed to be ready for the next season. So this is pointing to us about the glory of God. It's not just something that nurtures us. God knows how to release glory in different seasons of your life to get you in that season, ready for the next season, and to grow into every season. And here, what we're actually seeing is it says that God is releasing a part of himself. Why? So that you'll come into the image of how he's revealing the glory of God to you. So back to the, the illustration I was giving you. Here, do you guys ever see Jesus coming to you and saying things like this? Hey, you know, you, you literally need to preach the gospel, heal the sick, drive out demons, cure incurable disease, and raise people from the dead. And what we do is we think he's saying something hard to us. Well, he actually is. But he's doing it on purpose because he wants you to give up on trying to get it out of yourself and let the glory of God come into you, manifest it in you, and show you I can do this through you. He gave the standard so that you would cry out for his glory in that. By the way, why do we listen to some people in our culture and other people who say the same thing, we don't pay attention to them? It has to do with the weight of the glory of God that's resting on their life. If I want to grow in authority, I better become a container for the... I'm sorry, if I want to grow in authority, I need to become a container of the glory of God. 
Because weightiness, authority, rests on God's glory, resting on me. Not on how well I understand something. And by the way, after doing this for more than 30 years, I'll just use healing as an example, I still don't understand it. The only thing I understand is like Jesus like showing up and healing people. So my job is to say, however you want to reveal yourself as a healer and a miracle worker, I'm just going to open up for a glory sunburn. <laughs> now Paul, the same person that wrote this, talked to the nation of Israel and it started a conversation with them like this. The ministry that the Lord has given me is to provoke the Jews to jealousy. Now, I used to read that and think, that sounds childish. Why would you run around trying to make everyone jealous about something? And now I understand it. How do you get, now think about it, there's something really beneficial to you in your life. How do you get someone to grab onto something that's very beneficial in their life when they don't believe it's necessary? You could tell them, here's the benefits, but if they don't think it's necessary, they're not going to do it. So God has this intelligent way to deal with people. He makes people hunger and thirst. Ready? He creates jealousy. And it's by the Spirit intentionally. So have you guys ever hung out with the body of Christ and you watch someone that's had an encounter with the Lord, either with his love or his power or something he's doing, and all of a sudden you look at that and you begin to long for that? That's the glory of God using the concept of yearning, causing a yearning so that you'll cry out, give me your glory. Moses actually thought this was pretty important. Do you guys remember? He has to lead four million, between four to six million rebellious Jews through the wilderness all the time, and he's getting exhausted. And finally he says, you know, if you don't show me your glory, I'm not going to do this anymore. Now, how many of you read that and think, wow, that's audacious. Can you say those kind of things to God? Well, I believe actually the Lord caused Moses to pray that. Now, what happened in the story? The Lord says, yeah, great, go up there, and I'm going to reveal my glory to you. Now, uh, how many of you read that and think, okay, that's only for Moses? Wow, I wish I was Moses. Well, actually, I'm glad I'm not. I'd hate to do the four million people in the wilderness, but... But these, these encounters, oh, I wish I was Moses. He puts them on a rock. So I see people saying things to the Lord like, reveal your glory to me or do these things. I don't know how you look at it, but I wasn't trained to just analyze those things. When I first came to the Lord, I, be, I began to see that God has, he doesn't have favoritism. And because he doesn't have favoritism in relational dynamic, what one person's asked for, if they get access to it, you're allowed to ask for it. So how do I tell this experience? Hopefully, I tell it correctly and it makes sense. Um, on weekends, while I was in Bible college, my wife would say, let's go visit my mother down at her house, which that was kind of like going to prison for me <laughs> because we would go there. I'm just trying to be honest with you guys. So we would go there, and my wife and my mother-in-law would get in a car and go shopping for like 10 hours a day and, and leave me in a house to die. I mean, they didn't check on me. They didn't feed me. They left me with a television. They had no reception, so I had nothing to do. And they would do this to me weekend after weekend, and I would tell my wife my plight, and, and she would just like, you're being a baby, and then I'd have to go submit myself to it again on another weekend. It was, it was terrible. Do you guys feel sorry for me? So 
I am trying to figure out, well, what can I do with all my time? And so, you know, what's the correct Christian response? Well, I probably ought to pray and stuff like that. So I'm reading through the Exodus story, and I'm getting to the place where Moses is talking to the Lord, and he's telling him, look, if, you, if your presence doesn't go with us, and if you don't reveal your glory to me, I'm not going to go do this anymore. And I thought, I wonder what would happen if I prayed that prayer. I wonder if God in heaven would just mark on his book of remembrance. Oh, isn't that cute, Brian? Prayed that prayer. Right? I mean, do you guys ever do this? Just, I'm going to try a prayer and see what happens here. So I, I'm laying on this bed, and the, uh, this spare bedroom, and I'm just, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. I, don't, I just thought, oh, I'm going to try this and see what happens. I said, hey, Lord, just like you did with Moses, could you reveal your glory to me? And then I'm just waiting. And all the presence of the Lord starts coming in the room. And I'm like, oh, isn't that nice? The glory of the Lord's here. You know, uh, it's hard to describe this. There are um, degrees or types or levels of the glory of the Lord. So like in worship, a lot of times we just enter into it. We feel he's refreshed. And that's what first started ministry, man. I thought, well, I, I, that was a nice prayer. I, I'm feeling the same thing I always do when God draws near to me. But the power kept increasing. Now, I'm saying, yeah, what was the prayer? Reveal your glory to me, just like you did Moses. The power of God is showing up so strong in the room that now I'm telling the Lord, don't do this anymore. I don't want to keep doing this. And I'm saying, don't do it anymore. But God doesn't listen to me. More and more power comes. I'm literally, how do you describe this stuff? I'm laying on a bed, and the power of God is hitting me so hard, my body is bouncing up and down on the bed. I'm now saying, I don't want to do this anymore. Let's stop. I just realized as I'm telling you this, if you haven't experienced this, this probably sounds so bizarre to you guys. Sometimes when God is gracious enough to let me experience something I've never experienced before and I try to explain it to people, I just think, they probably think you need lithium. So anyways... <laughs> Yeah, bouncing on this bed. And I have this encounter where it literally feels like the Lord is coming by me, but he's not walking by me. He's drawing near to me. And I don't know how to describe this. It's like I could sense he was coming from eternity past, coming into the presence and going into eternity future. And as I feel the sweeping presence of the glory of God go by me, it's like he's talking to me and his voice is fading. And I could tell he's telling me the future. So this is 1987, and he's going in the 1990s. I'm going to restore the government of God, and then in the year 2000s, I'm going to come, and I'm going to uh, release the body of Christ in my ministry to empower, and then he says, I'm going to do a worldwide revival, and then it's going to go on, and there's going to be persecution, and it's fading. <laughs> okay, and I'm still bouncing. And then it lifts off me, and the first, here's my first thought. Boy, I hope that never happens again. <laughs> Now, I don't know if you guys have ever thought about this, because when we talk about, you know, part of our blessings, I give this blessing all the time, we talk about the face of God shining upon you. That term, the face of God shining upon you. What is that? That's the idea of an appearing of the Lord and his glory being shown on you. You were created for that. And so when you seek his face, realize you're not just seeking his face. You're not turning God into Google to get information. You're encountering the glorious one. And he's going to emanate his glory. That's why the Bible tells you to do this. Seek his face. 
All right, let's finish the passage. And then it says, you're changed into the same image. And then it uses this really interesting statement, from glory to glory. And those, it is the word glory, but it's, it's hard to describe this. It means going higher in the glory of God and deeper in the glory of God at the same time. And it's ever increasing, so it'd be like going up stair steps. So when God comes to you and he says, here's what I want you to know about me, you're going deeper deeper into the glory of God and higher into the glory of God and being lifted into a new relational dynamic with him. Which means everything behind you has been eliminated and you're in that place of glory that you were in, you can't go back to. You have to now live in the new state of God's glory being demonstrated to you. Do you know how the scripture talks to people like, remember when uh, a Elijah was talking to Elijah, and he threw his mantle on him, and he says, well, hey, wait a minute, let me go uh, do all this stuff. And he says, well, what am I to you? When he threw his mantle on him, what happened is he got touched by the glory of God. And he realized, I have to destroy everything from my past because I can't go back to that glory anymore. I have to start seeing myself differently in regard to the glory of God that's being revealed to me. And this is why the Bible comes to you and says, hey, don't try to go back to fear. Don't try to go back to anxiety. Don't try to go back to the things you were because that's not who you are anymore. You cannot go back there. It's a form of, ready, deception. The Bible says you're in a new state of the glory of God in your life and God is planning on propelling you constantly by him making himself known to you. You're advancing and deepening in the glory of God as you're going on in life. That's why, why we're considered sojourners on this planet after we receive Christ is because you guys realize you're now on the highway of the glory of God and the final designation is to step constantly into the glory of God. You're a different type of person. You're a person that is now being nurtured by the majestic glory of the Lord. Now, how does that take place? The passage ends with this. Are you guys still with me? All right. So it says, from glory to glory, and then how it describes it is it now brings up the Lord, and then it describes the person of the Trinity that's doing this. Just as it is from the Lord, the Spirit. It, it seems to me that the passage is pointing to the fact that it is the ministry of the Holy Spirit's job to reveal the glory of the Lord to you. Christ demonstrated his glory by dying on the cross for you. All the benefits of that glory has to be given to you by someone. It's the Holy Spirit. This is why we have to get comfortable with his presence in our lives. We have to welcome him. We have to ask him to manifest his presence. All of this is a work that God is doing inside of us, and it's by the Spirit that God does these things. And I know the understanding of the Holy Spirit is, well, it's hard to understand. He's a person. This person has been given to us, God, the Holy Spirit, has been given to us to demonstrate God's goodness and his glory to us. And he's the one with us on this journey until we step onto the other side with the Father and the Son. And so I always look at this. I don't know if you guys ever think of this, and I'll finish. I hear people talking about being charismatic or non-charismatic, and I've always laughed at those comparisons because 
the Bible doesn't bring any of this idea that there are special ones that swing on chandeliers and then there's the rest of us. The Bible says all of us get the Holy Spirit and His job is to work His glory in you according to what He's created you to do. And so we're to, supposed to enjoy the season of the glory of God and then honor it how God is doing it in other people without trying to force them to come into our glory. And we're supposed to rejoice over it. I rejoice over seeing God's glory being... I mean, do you guys ever watch each other and just sit around and like... Look at the glory of God that God's... Look at how God is expressing His glory and love to that person. And how He's changing them by that. And why would you want to come and mess that up and go, no, you have to do what I'm doing? Uh, isn't it amazing? We're called to a body, and yet it's an individual transformation. And the, one of the reasons we come together isn't just to govern, it's to rejoice over the transformative power of God in each person. So, like, what would God do with you this week? Yes! Isn't that awesome? Man, I think I'm going to go get in front of, in front of the glory sunlight for a while and get some of that. <laughs> How did God affect you? Yes! I'm going to stand before the Lord and go get me with that. In fact, I used to go to meetings and... Seriously, I promise I'll finish with this. I used to go to meetings and just listen to how people were describing the presence of the Lord because I knew once it was announced, it was available. So if someone ever said, well, I had this dream, I'd go, okay, I want dreams. And then I'd say, now, come on, God, give me your glory. Have you ever been in meetings and watched someone touched by the presence of the Lord and then another person touched by the presence of the Lord and then another person and another person? Have you ever sat around and tried to figure out what that is? That's God touching a person, someone else is looking at him without even realizing the intention of their heart. They're going, I'd actually like that, and God meets them with it. You can all enjoy it if you want it. Now what I feel I'm supposed to present to you is this. Are you thirsty for it? Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for taking away the veil. Thank you. We know that, Holy Spirit, you're living inside of us. Would you help us rejoice and flow with the glory that you're revealing of your very presence. And we ask that you would help us get in touch with how you're transforming us. Now, Lord, manifest your glory inside of us and around us right now. And, and let us, for what we need for this day to move forward, let it come. Let it come. Nurture us, strengthen us by this, and bless us, Lord. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It's our joy to offer these podcasts. We sure hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions, any prayer requests, feel free to drop us a line at Fellowship at iCloud.com. If you're curious about ways you can be more deeply involved in this community, visit our website at EmmausFellowship.org and be sure to like our Facebook page.